Hello, everyone. This is Richard with Richard Runs Trails podcast. Um, my latest this podcast, um, I'm replaying my live stream from Tuesday night. Yeah, I call it Tuesday Night Trail Talk. Um, if you want to see the the video, you can check it out on my YouTube channel, which goes by the same name, Richard Runs Trails. I uh, hope you enjoy it. I mainly talk about the recent... Um, December, January issue of Ultra Running Magazine. There's quite a few things in there that were interesting to talk about. But um, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Have a good week and have a good run. Stay tuned for the live stream episode. Hello, everyone. Um, Welcome to Tuesday's Trail Talk. Um, We may have a special guest tonight, uh, Jay from the Ultra Runner channel. We'll see, but I have a lot to talk about. I want to talk about the Ultra Runner, uh, Ultra Running Magazine. Let me make sure that we're live. Talk about the Ultra Runner, uh, Ultra Running, and we are live. So let's get started. Um, um, when I was at the uh, the TRE show, the the running event uh, show, um, I picked up a latest copy of Ultra Running Magazine. Actually, getting ahead of myself, I've got my signature bucket hat on tonight. Uh, my black Jim Walmsley edition Nike version. I've worn this in many races. I really like it. I'd like to get a white Hoka hat like Jim Walmsley, but I haven't found one. Maybe I need to order one online. Last time I checked, they weren't available. Everybody bought them out. Still have a little bit of a cold, so maybe drinking some sparkling water here and there. So please bear with me. If you didn't catch my show yesterday, I'm, I'm still puzzled how I caught a cold. You know, of course, my family has it. I know I don't have COVID because I have three COVID shots already. And uh, also have the flu shot. So so how, how can somebody catch a cold with four shots? I should be able to lick doorknobs. <laughs> I don't know. I can't complain. My health is good. <coughs> Excuse me. So what I wanted to talk about is... Uh, so you can see here, Ultra Running Magazine. Um, so I found some cool things to talk about in there. Also, I want to show you my hoodie. Um, this one's from Jackalope Jam. It's a race here in Texas. Um, I actually won the 48-hour event, I think it was two years ago. Um, you see the cone on here. They call it the cone of death. <laughs> the course is about two-and-a-half-mile loop, and you do it over and over and over. And you start at the start-finish line, and you go way out, and uh, not really way out. You go to, you go about a mile and a half out, and you go around the cone. It's just in the middle, at the end of a cheap road. <coughs> Excuse me. And they call it the cone of death because you have to go around it so many times. Well, interesting story is I did I did the 48-hour race, so basically out there for two days, two days and two nights. And um, on the second night, I started on a Friday morning. Um, on Saturday, Saturday evening, I shouldn't say Saturday evening, late Saturday evening or early Sunday morning, I guess it was about 5 a.m. It, re- it was probably just a couple hours before dawn. And uh, 
was going towards the cone. And of course I had a headlamp on and the cone of death had a skunk by it. <laughs> so what do you do? There, there was actually another guy not too far away from me. So we just stood there and eventually the skunk just kind of ran away, but really kind of startled you after running, you know, running for two days. I kind of thought I was hallucinating, but I was like, no, that's a skunk. And that would have been terrible to be sprayed by that thing. But, uh, but anyways, let's talk about the ultra running magazine and whatever else y'all want to talk about. Um, first off, who buys the magazine? I used to buy it all the time. I used to go into Bards and Nobles, which is the only, the, you know, brick and mortar that you can buy books at anymore, at least in Austin area. And I used to buy it, you know, it's quite expensive. I don't know what it says. It's, uh, let's see if there's a price on here. Wow, eight dollars. It used to be six ninety nine. Eight dollars for a magazine. A lot of the stuff is online, so I noticed that they. Um, I guess they they started doing it a couple years ago, where each issue is for two months. So I guess it comes out six times per year. But it's got a lot of nice pictures in it, and I like to read it. But to be honest, I just bought it because I was an ultra runner. I really didn't gain much from it. Um. A lot of the articles you can read from I Run Far, same, it's the same, same um, authors. I don't want to make the ultra running magazine mad at me. I know they're trying to, probably trying to build up their um, subscriptions, but uh, um, they really do a good job of all the graphics and stuff in there. But I guess that's why it costs $8. $8 for a magazine? I'm getting old. I remember when books cost that much. Um, but what I wanted to talk about, um, oh, they had one really good article on here. A lot of ads for Koros watches, and they really don't cost very much. And they really give all their ambassadors, like, watches or discounted watches. Don't you see that so many people are, are pushing Koros watches? Um, I heard they're pretty good. I think the new one's a Vector or something like that. They're supposed to compete with the Phoenix. But, you know, if you compare Garmin and Cinto, Coros seems to have a lot of ambassadors, a lot of people doing videos for them. So I know that they got some sort of sponsorship. But I'm just wondering how they make so much money or how they make enough money to survive. It's a, <coughs> excuse me, the ownership of Coros is uh, Beijing, is China-based uh, GPS company. So that's where they get a lot of their smarts. But, um, the way I understand Coros just has a phone app. It doesn't have the computer-based app like Sunto and Garmin. I really think Garmin, that's where they, they're strongest, is um, their computer-based apps and uh, the basically the back end of their stuff. But I think Coros is catching up. I'd be interesting to – I know Garmin's growing by leaps and bounds, and today they announced they moved from NASDAQ to New York Stock Exchange. Why? I don't really know what – that was that happened today actually so they're doing really well uh, i think they get a lot of the money from aerospace they're basically in everything i think santo is doing already uh it's a finished company i think they're doing okay i'm not real sure but corals man it's just everywhere it's like everyone every every video every youtuber you check out except for me <laughs> seems like they're getting free corals watches to to promote but i hear i mean i'm not knocking them i hear they have pretty good product i just never tried them and they had a pretty nice booth at uh, TRE also. 
Actually, it was bigger than uh, Garmin, and Cinto wasn't even there. But um, kind of got off the subject. Um, but I want to talk about knees. You know, I had a relative tell me that, you know, you need to back off your running, you know. I mean, we all hear it all the time from colleagues or family members. You know, the relative says, you're no spring chicken, you know. I'm in my 50s, you know. It's like, so what? I'm faster than I was when I was in my 40s, probably 30s too. I don't have any knee problems. And the way I understand, you know, I'm in a Roadrunners Club of America certified coach, just like a lot of YouTubers are. I don't ever talk about it, but I am. I just throw that out there. I got the certification not so much to coach people. I might start doing that. I've thought about it. Um, but I mainly got it so I could teach my son proper way, you know, planning and, you know, um, training, training blocks, that sort of thing. He's a young runner. And I wanted to improve myself. But I thought it was pretty cool. It only took me a couple of days to get the certification. But, you know, they talk about in there, too, you know, you know, running's not going to hurt your knees. But, you know, you're dealing with colleagues and family members. I'm sure you've heard it. You know, you're going to destroy your knees. Um, <coughs> the way I understand it is, unless you've had trauma in your knees, and what I mean by that is like you've been in a car accident or injured in football or military. Um, but even if you have trauma, sometimes it's fixable. Like my brother had trauma in the military and he runs ultras now. But um, there's a really good article in uh, Ultra Running Magazine, and it's written by uh, Tracy Beth Hoig. I guess he's a doctor. But um, it says, understanding the risk um, and, and overcoming any problems with uh, injury for your knees. But what stood out in here is something I've heard before. And, you know, just right on the money. It says, running is not in and of itself harmful to the knees. In fact, it is likely better for the knees than being sedentary. It means don't do shit. So, you know, I, I can give an example. You know, I, I do a lot of ultras and Brazos Band. I really, I really messed up my feet. They were swollen, throbbing for days. I mean, blisters. My feet really get beat up in the really long ultras. It takes a few days to re to rehab them, you know, they say by good, good rule of thumb, it's one day per 10 miles, but I'm usually okay in three or four days. You know, I can do some light running, maybe even two days I can do some biking, but I never knock on wood. have had issues with my knees. I mean, they're not even, I mean, a little bit sore, you know, my muscles are sore, but my knees, I'm, they're just like rock solids. So kind of, maybe I'm blessed with that, but I've heard that from other people too. So, and as much running as I've done in the last 30, 35 years, you know, I've been running since college. Um, more than most people are running there, will run in their lifetime. I just saw nonsense about running, hurting your knees. I'm, I'm sure you get tired of hearing it too. But there's a really nice article in um, Ultra Running Magazine about that. And, um, oh, look at it. All over the magazine, another Coros, another Coros uh, watch ad. And it's been in the box. They don't charge much for their watches either. I mean, some of their watches start in like the $300 range. I'm not sure how much the Vector costs. If you know, let me know. I'd like to know how much the watch that's comparable to the Phoenix cost. 
Well, what I was looking for is <coughs> talk about lighting. Talked a little bit about lighting yesterday. I've been purchasing for my whole life and uh, some um, I really know lithium metal batteries and lithium ion batteries, what some people call LFP very well. I mean, lithium ion batteries are what like you use in a Tesla and forklifts. And basically it's the hot battery out there. And the reason it is, is LFP technology is not, there's no fire danger. Also, if you puncture, it's going to catch on fire. Um, other chemistries can catch on fire like NMC, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you can see here um, the waste light. That's an Ultra Aspire. It's a very good waste light. I mean, I was sponsored by Ultra Aspire until a few months ago. They make a good product. But I've been very hesitant to switch to LFP batteries. And I noticed that all of the Nathan, all of them are switching over to LFP batteries. Now, the advantage is it's better for the environment. You know, you're not taking out alkaline batteries that have to be thrown away or recycled. Now, when I'm talking about alkaline batteries, I'm talking about AA or AAA. But the disadvantage is, well, they're doing this for the environment. The disadvantage is when you're in an ultra race, lithium-ion can only be, you have to either replace the large cell, which is usually like 18650 or 26650. It's a pretty big battery. They're expensive, they're like 15 bucks each. And you still have to charge it. So you may have an extra one, you charge it and put it in your pack. But these batteries have to be charged by USB. So I have an Ultra Aspire belt that's a little bit older and it uses three AAA batteries and I love it to death, but they stopped making it. All of them are stopped making it. They're all switching to lithium ion. So, yeah. Sorry, I was trying. I was trying something out there. In case um, I've never had a guest on here before, so I'm gonna make sure that um, it prompts me for a split screen. So I shouldn't have tried that live. But anyways, I'm talking about lithium-ion batteries, and uh, great for the environment, but I think not so good for the user. You know, I like the fact that I can keep. Um, the alkaline batteries, you know, I, I wrap them in saran wrap. I, I wrap the either three by threes or fours or two double A's for my Nathan handheld light. And I'm all for the environment. I'm just saying for trail racing, it's much more convenient to have the alkaline batteries instead of the lithium ion. And if you do go lithium ion, you might want, there's some big packs um, that, that last all night. I would go that way, <coughs> but you don't want to carry a bunch of lithium-ion batteries. They're pretty big, um, and if you do, you might want to you might want to place them in a drop bag so that you know you have a couple on the course. Um, you have to be real careful about it. Um, I wanted to talk about that. Um, also. There's some really cool shoes out there, you know, some of these European brands. Um, one that I've never tried that I want to try is Innov Innov Innovate. 
can't even not say it right. It's INOV. I think it's a British brand. They have some really cool shoes. At least they look cool. They almost look like baseball shoes or football shoes. See that there? Um, you know, it's it's Innovate. Probably butchering their name. World's first graphene foam. Graphene foam. <coughs> there are a lot of pros that use them in Europe, and I know there's some in in the U.S. too that use them because they've been just because they've been sponsored by them. But I've never seen any any stores. I mean, REI, and uh, I guess you can buy them online. But I really don't like to buy shoes online unless I can try them. I mean, I say that I've done that but I end up returning them. That's one of the nice thing about running warehouses. If you, you can return them and it doesn't cost you anything. REI, I mean, if you take it down to the store, you can return it with no shipping costs. But if you try to return it to them, they will charge you the shipping. But um, I'd really like to try that brand. I've, I've thought, of that, thought about doing that. And um, um, also another, another brand that's out there all the time, you see a lot of advertisement, but you don't see many people wearing is Drymax socks. Almost all the pros are wearing them. How do they make their money? I don't know. I know they do a lot for football teams like NFL and high school. They're real big and Drymax is real big in that. Um, it's supposed to be a really good sock. Um, but I've never tried any. I've never seen any in the store. I've never seen them in REI. Why don't, why didn't, I mean, REI sells every brand under the sun. Why don't they sell Drymax socks? I don't know. I've always wondered that. I mean, Jim Walmsley wears them. <laughs> but actually, to be honest, I think they're. I would use them for training runs. I'm sold on my 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 um, Ingenji uh, toe socks. I need toe socks, whether it be Ingenji or another brand. I can't imagine um, using um, a regular sock again. And the Drymax socks are pretty thin. I know they're like double layer. I'm going to be testing out a right sock, which is a double layer. There are several socks out there that are double layer, and Drymax is special double layer technology to protect you from blisters. But for me, you know, 100 mile, I'm going to be out there 26, 27, maybe longer hours. I mean, Jim and them are finishing ultras in 14 hours, you know, kind of fat, a little bit faster than my 100K time. Um, maybe for them, the sock is enough, but I can't imagine, you know, being a big runner, I mean, in the 190s, I mean, running for 25, 26 hours, I just can't imagine you weren't using a Drymax sock or any of the other thin socks. But they run a lot of advertisements and they've got a lot of sponsorships, you know, almost all the pros have their names on them. But I don't see anybody wearing their socks. I don't know. I just kind of thought that was worth talking about. Um, I was like yesterday. I was talking about the um, desert solstice run. Did did anybody see that? I looked on. Um, I looked on. Um, I run far to find out the final results. Just before, just a little bit earlier. <coughs> Um, David Laney, man, just lit it up. I mean, he, he finished a hundred miles in like 12 hours and 36 minutes or something like that. It's really amazing. 
And Camille Heron beat her own record. I don't think it, I don't think either one of them broke any world record. But Camille Heron came in like at 13 hours, 20 minutes or something like that. Really, it was only like 40 minutes different than the fastest male. It's really amazing. Uh, you know, there's such a big difference in the track, track and field between the male and the female. But when you get into the ultra distances or longer distances, I should say ultra distances, there's not much difference. At least not much anymore. I mean, you saw what happened at UTMB this year where there's so many females in the top 20. And uh, Courtney uh, DeWalter, I think she had, what, sixth or seventh place? She Overall, not just winning the female. <coughs> I find that very interesting because – if you just drop down just a little bit for, you know, down to the marathon, it's not like that at all. I mean, the men just smoke the shit, smoke the women in the marathon. I mean, it's not even close. You know, you got the women finishing the, the high 220s and you got men, you know, finishing 204, 205. But when you jump up to the ultra distance, it, there's not much difference. It's really interesting how it changes. But there was another race in here. Boy, let's see if you can see this. The Warrior Race. This is a race in uh, New York City. It's called the Warriors Ultra Run. Well, it's underground. I guess they run in subways or whatever. 28 miles. But what the interesting thing is you dress up like a warrior. You dress up like a gangbanger. And it says here it's an, <coughs> an over, overnight underground 28-mile course in the streets of New York City, runners dressed as gang members <laughs> pass iconic sites from the movie The Warriors. Uh, so that's bizarre. Well, I can only think I could think of is chafing, chafing, chafing. I mean, why would you want to dress in a warrior's outfit to run 28 miles? Maybe it's the first time you think it's cool, but I guarantee you won't do it a second time. <laughs> So, so, yeah. Yeah, hey, Allison, thanks for joining. I, d I, don't, really, I don't really understand your message, but um, thanks for joining the live stream. <coughs> Sorry, I have a cough. I was just talking about the Warriors Ultra Run. Um, amazing. Um, this is creative, though. And I would never heard of it unless I uh, checked it out. And um, something I was talking, uh, I, I talk often with my brother about is people running in sandals. I mean, I've got some sandals that I run in and um, I use them for casual wear a lot and they're built for running ultras. Um, I do some runs in them, but I just get rocks in there, man. That hurts. Pebbles and stuff. I don't know how they do it. I've been in many ultras where um, 100Ks, even 100 miles, I see people running in sandals. I just don't know how they keep the the rocks and stuff out of their sandals. It's got to be painful. I mean, I know it's painful because I, when I do it, now I'll tell you what's nice is you put on a pair of Njinji socks and wear the sandals. It's pretty nice. I, don't, I still wouldn't use them in an ultra. I didn't buy them for that reason. But you can see here, this, this guy's feet are pretty torn up. But um, he finished the hairpin uh, 100 in sandals. 
I'll tell you why he should get an extra award for that. I mean, his feet look terrible. And uh, he still has all his toenails, which is kind of uh, interesting. <laughs> but uh, sorry, he's just dealing with his cold. There was another cool story in here about an ultra runner. It's about a, a race in uh, Australia. And uh, I've listened to a lot of podcasts about racing in Australia. And I've got um, Jamal Richards, which is putting on some races down in Australia. He's a good friend of mine. And, um, they, you know, they talk about all the really poisonous snakes, like the brown snake. And you got kangaroos and you got all these things. You know, a lot, a lot more things to worry about than we do in the ultras in the U.S. I mean, in Texas, we have rattlesnakes, we have mountain lions, we have other things. But, you know, the race directors always say, and uh, Chris, which runs Tejas Trails, he always says, the, the thing you have to fear the most is hydration. <laughs> he says the mountain lions are fed well. They're not going to bother you. And uh, the chances of seeing one is very rare. But I have run across, I mean, my question to, I mean, let me back up this, in the story, this guy runs up on a feral dog. I don't even know what a feral dog is. I'm kind of imagining like a hyena. Anyways, it had a dead kangaroo in its mouth. And supposedly these feral dogs are like a, you know, vicious, like a lion or something that can kill you. And it didn't bother him and it had the kangaroo and it let him go, you know, basically got away. But kind of got me thinking, you know, what's the... What's the scariest thing you run into when you're running out on the trails, you know, animal-wise? I mean, I have some stories of my own, but none of them are really scary, you know. I think the first time I saw a rattlesnake, it kind of startled me. But, you know, they're always at peace, it seems like. Knock on wood, I mean, I've, it seems like every time I've ever ran up on a rattlesnake, they're crossing the trail, and there was someone in front of me that warned me about it. So I was never, excuse me. It was worse tonight than it was yesterday. The thing about rattlesnakes is, like I was saying, is I've never, when I've encountered them on trail race, in trail races, I've never seen them in a training run, but I've seen lots of them in trail races. It's usually at night with a headlamp. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen one during the day. So it's, no, I've seen one at dusk. But there's usually someone that warns me about it or I see it crossing the trail. They're always uh, very peaceful. I've never had one rattle at me. Doesn't mean that I like them being out there. I wish they were extinct, actually. I know that's kind of harsh, but rattlesnakes are very dangerous if you get bitten by one. And you know where our trail races are, you know, they're pretty rural areas. Anyways, I've seen a lot of rattlesnakes and um, very peaceful, not really bothering me. The thing that scared me the most, well, I had a couple things. I shouldn't say scare me, it made me very nervous. I was once running down through a canyon and a, uh, a Russian boar uh, bellowed out and roared, basically echoed the whole canyon. It must've been a huge one. That kind of made me nervous. And another time I saw a boar, <coughs> it was pretty interesting. This was in, uh, in central Texas, I remember it distinctively. I was running in this um, 
um, and desert race, Buffalo desert race. And it was towards the end. And there was these three military guys. I, they passed me earlier in the day and, um, really jacked up guys. I mean, really fit, but they were running together and they wouldn't leave each other and they had music. They had one of those little, those music things you can hang on your belt, which are pretty cool. I have one too, but I've never used one on a trail race because it only lasts like five, six hours. Anyways, they passed me earlier in the day, so I knew who they were. And the race is close to a military base, so there was a lot of military people in the race. But I caught them towards the end of the race, and the reason I did is because one of the guys was injured, just chafed up, really beat up. But, you know, it's like they weren't going to leave their wingman, you know. So they were all running together, even though most of them were better runners than me. I passed them. But when I got up close to them, they were they were listening like Ted Nugent or something. I think it was Cat Scratch Fever or something. Two in the morning, in the middle of the forest, we're running through the trail. I was running near them. Then all of a sudden, we hear something running through the brush, like Bigfoot. I mean, just bushes snapping i mean whatever it was was huge and it was running parallel to the trail towards us and uh we never saw it but i saw the silhouette and it was just a big pig big boar and uh just crunching the brush but that was kind of eerie he did not like the music at all it scared the crap out of him and he was running away but i had that happen one time Another thing I had to me happen one time was in the J&J trail race. Um, I was, it was also late in the, it was uh, late in the evening. It was a hundred K, but I've been running. The race started at night. So I'd been running a long time and I was running through a riverbed and I had two lights. I had, I had uh, my flashlight and then I also had my headlamp. And uh, what happened was um, I was going in and out of the, the riverbank and uh, <coughs> in and out of the riverbank. And uh, one time I, I came out of the riverbank and then when I, I came back into the riverbank, the trail kept going in and out. I had to duck under this tree. And when I ducked under this tree, um, a bat flew out and hovered in front of me. I think I shined my light into this bat's eyes and it's flying right in front of me. What was weird was when it first happened, I didn't think it was a bat. I thought it was like a giant moth or something. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was kind of tired and hallucinating. And uh, what was weird about it or scary about it was it had red eyes and when it opened its mouth and its teeth, it was all red too kind of like something out of Halloween. And then I realized, no, this is a bat. And um, I had my hike, one of my hiking poles in my hand. I'd just been carrying. Sometimes I carry a hiking pole at night. just kind of makes me feel safer and helps me get through the technical sections. <coughs> I took this hiking pole, started swinging at him. And, you know, they can't see, but they got the radar. I think his radar picked up my hiking pole and he took off, but... That really kind of startled me. And um, earlier this year in November, when I was uh, running in 
Arkansas traveler, same thing happened to me again, but I was just running on a road, a, a Jeep road towards the end of the race. And I had a bat come out at me and around me. They just don't like lights at all. And, or they're trying to find the insects that are flying around the lights. Cause I did have some of those, but it startled me some. Um, the other thing that I, run into many times on these late trail runs, you know, overnight trail runs is coyotes. What I found about is coyotes, they don't want anything to do with you. But when they howl and they're together as a pack, they can be over a mile away from you, but they seem like, they sound like they're right next to you. Um, I've never actually seen seen the pack of coyotes, but I've had several that gotten really close or I thought they got really close and kind of I don't know, kind of uh, makes you worry a little bit. You know, it's like a pack of dogs chasing, you know. I mean, the first time I encountered that was at Havelina 100. And um, that was my first 100-miler, actually. I did it twice. First time I DNF'd at 82 miles because of lower back pain. Went out there the next year and finished it. But the first year I ran out there, you, you know, the desert, you know, you can hear those coyote packs, and they may be miles away, but they sound so close. And uh, makes you feel a little bit vulnerable. You know, what if, I mean, I have coyotes that live near my house here. And sometimes I, I have seen some, you know, they get lost in the morning trying to get back out to the forest. Some of these coyotes are as big as a German shepherd. Can you imagine running up again in a pack of like 10 of them or something? I don't know. I think coyotes can be pretty spooky sometimes. And, uh, There was something else I was going to talk about. Talked about the feral hog, feral dog. I've heard of feral hogs, but I've never heard of a feral dog, but it talks about an ultra running magazine feral dog. I don't know what that means. Just imagining a big wild dog, kind of like I have a, a, a um, hyena. Oh, I know what I talk about. There's a big atom for psychaps. Um, there's always a big debate on whether or not you need to take salt tablets or not. I've, you know, I take them, I buy them, um, in the packets, you know, I get the, the packets that reclosable packets. I like the ones that have like other minerals in them, like, um, zinc and the other things that your body needs. And I usually take take them every few hours and I'll take some salt tablets. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll take some salt tablets from aid stations, you know, whatever brand they have, but I don't take too many. I take some, but I don't take too many, but you know, in the last hundred I did my, and this happens a lot. My, my hands swell up some and uh, I can't really close my fingers too much. People say, well, you don't have enough salt, but I took enough. I took a lot of salt. And um, I notice it happens to other people too. And as a rule, when I'm hydrating, I usually drink one bottle of water, then one bottle of Gatorade or Tailwind or whatever they have, base or whatever. <coughs> so it's always half and half. Oh, I'm dry. But I seem not to be getting enough salt. At least that's what people say. But then I've, I've heard some famous coaches say, and some athletes saying you don't need to take any salt at all. You get enough through the hydration and what you eat. So what is it? 
There's a big industry out there selling assault tablets. Do we really need it or not? Let me know what you think. No. Yeah. What else did I have? I think that's all my subjects from my uh, Ultra Running Magazine. <laughs> they had some good training plans in here. You know, that's another thing about training plans. Have you used any of the training plans you can buy on the internet? I bought, you know, I, I, I did go through the certified running training from RRCA, which is very good. So I learned how to do training plans. But I had also bought some training plans from Sage Candidate. You know, everybody knows Sage. You know, I bought his 50K, basically his ultra marathon training plan. <coughs> They're nice because I think they only cost like $20. And he not only gives you the training plans for, I think they're like a couple months long and it, it covers a couple different distances, but he also has a glossary explaining everything. So if you need a training plan, I highly suggest, you know, check out some things that are online or hire a coach, but coaches are very expensive, you know, or some are, I've always find that very interesting. You know, some of the famous coaches, uh, Excuse me. I mean, someone like Jeff Browning can cost you $300 a month. Some of the other pros charge that much. That's not common, two to $300 a month. But there are some really good coaches out there. I can't remember their names offhand, but they only charge a little over $100 a month. And they just do a volume. They, they don't give you as many, you know, calls and stuff. But it's interesting. The big gap and how much, how much uh, some of the coaches charge. And you, if you get a new coach, you know, someone like me or someone like that, charge even less than that. But um, I highly suggest getting a coach if you're not sure how to train because, you know, one of the key things and you'll learn, learn from any coach is the most important thing when you're trying to improve is just consistency. What that means is doing something every day. Don't take a bunch of time off. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, I take very little time off unless I'm injured. I don't get injured very much, and I don't do stretching. I mean, I'm a weirdo in many ways, but it, it works for me. There's a lot of coaches out there say you don't need to stretch if you're doing ultras, you know, or long-distance running. They say stretching is for track athletes. There's some benefit to that. <coughs> but... um. Anyways, getting back to what I was talking about, consistency is doing something every day. It doesn't have to be running. It can be cross training. I'm real big in um, biking. I've been doing more biking this week than uh, running because I'm still recuperating from my 100 miler last weekend. I've been doing skiing, you know, my my ski uh, erg machine. I do that every day. That's a nice thing. And I've got a full gym here. I'm actually sitting on, sitting on my weight bench right now. Um, if my legs are beat up and I can't run, there are a lot of things I can do that are going to benefit my running. So, but the idea of taking like a couple of weeks off doing nothing, I just think that's not, 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 not good. Um, also it's our culture, you know, our culture is to train and, and run. It's our way of life. 
if you're only training for racing, then you're missing the point. <coughs> like one famous coach says that racing is a celebration. And I really believe that. And you shouldn't compare yourself to other people. You should only compare yourself to the person you were yesterday. I think that's very important. People get caught up on that, you know, Strava and stuff, comparing themselves to everyone, but that's not necessary. Um, um, consistency, you know, write out a plan. If not, keep it in your head. I don't write out a plan. I just kind of know what I want to do. I know I want to run about 10K a day, and I try to have a long run once a week. I don't keep up with that too much, but I usually run at least 10K when I run. And when I'm biking, I usually do 20K. And the important thing, and I didn't learn this for a long time. I've been running for a long time, over 30 years. I think in the last five years, I really learned that get the most out of your workout. What does that mean? That means uh, push hard. I mean, there should be some days that are easy days, but don't do any junk miles. So if some days in the week you need to do some hill work or maybe do some tempo runs, you can do it on the same course that you're running, the easy runs. Just run harder. Try to run a faster mile or incorporate some strides. What strides means is, you know, like running 100 yards fast as you can. You can incorporate those in your run. Because I'm a big fan, a fan of Maffetone, Dr. Phil Maffetone's method, where you basically run at a low heart rate all the time. But I modify it some. I, I throw in strides here and there. And uh, I made my, it works for me. Because what I want to do when my running, you know, most of my running is nowadays is in the, in the, Hey, hi. Uh, thanks for joining. Uh, most of my running is in between the 10 to 11 minute miles. I found that, you know, the Maffetone training has gotten that time down because when I get into a longer ultra, I'm going to be deteriorating over time. So, you know, the last 20, 30 miles, I may be doing 14 to 16 minute miles, you know, speed walking, whatever. So it's important to get your base mileage to a, to a strong, a strong pace that you can maintain through all your training. And then you plan to deteriorate in the races. That's normal, but you do this by consistency. So if you can't run or you don't want to run, you, you do, you biking. And when you're biking, you know, I'm pushing 13, 14 miles an hour. I could easily cruise around at 10 miles an hour. You got to push yourself if you want to get gains. Same thing in weightlifting, you know. Um, if you're coming from weightlifting or another sport, it's the same, same concept. If you're just joining, I have a cold, so I'm fighting a cold. It's amazing. I got three COVID shots and a flu shot. I still caught the cold. I don't know how that's possible. Like a doctor explained that to me. But um, that or the flu shot ain't worth the shit this year. You know, who knows? I know I don't have COVID. <laughs> but now my, my family's had a cold and now I've got a cold, but amazing. I've I'm got more vaccines in me than ever and I'm, I caught the cold, but... <laughs> Yeah, hi, so Sophie. Uh, thanks for joining. Yeah, Sophie and Allison, you both have the same message, but I'm sorry, I don't don't understand what that means. But uh, 
thanks for joining anyways. But we're just talking about training plans, you know, how to build up your training plans. If you're a new runner, couch to 5K, um, you want to start easy, you know, inc increase by 10% a week. You know, it's not a bad idea to go out and walk a mile and then jog a mile. Um, it's, it's it's the same concept when you're a very experienced runner. I mean, I've been running over 30 years. <coughs> when you get to the ultra level, you do the same thing. You, um, you, may, you know, we may be doing 40, 50 miles a week. We jump up to 70, 80 miles a week. We have to jump slowly. Otherwise, you can... Uh, can get injured or just um, you get fatigue in your legs and you just really can't do what you plan to do. But that's where the cross training comes in, you know, biking, swimming, whatever you want to do. It's all good. It's all good stuff. Uh, it gets a little bit harder this time of year for some people up north because the weather's getting really bad. I'm fortunate here in Texas, the weather's pretty good. Today it was really foggy, but, you know, still in the 60s and 70s. We've had some cold days. Um, but in, in my last race, it was in the 60s. The race before that, it was in the 50s, so weather's pretty good. But uh, I think that's about it. Um, I don't have anything else to talk about tonight. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for, for uh, joining, and uh, stay tuned for uh, future uh, live streams. Take care. Bye-bye.